Hello, I'm Anthony Senna. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast. Episode 117, Don't Be a Koala, Maximizing Your Neuroplasticity. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Health Radio. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with Dr. Michael Smith. Michael, how are you today? I'm doing really well. How are you? It's been a long time. It's been a while. It's been, I think it's been over a year. It feels like it's been forever. Um, I've been off doing other things with my voice, uh, namely working at the local radio station. And uh, But now I'm back helping Yay. you do another episode of Fusion Health Radio. And uh, should we spill the beans and tell our listeners that we're conniving and conspiring to do something bigger and better? I, I think it's time. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a parent telling a, a younger child, you know, it's, we have to have this conversation. <laughs> we're having a baby. So <laughs> um, how do you want to tell people what's up? I mean, so to be fair, uh, the way we've done Fusion Health Radio in the past, it's been great and wonderful to sit down and have a dialogue with you and a conversation about all things related to health, lifestyle, and well-being. Great mindset. Um, but I think we're going to focus on uh, autoimmune disease, if I get that right. Yeah, that's the plan. And, and I admit um, to all the listeners of Fusion Health Radio that uh, my personality is just sort of naturally about uh, doing my best to help people. And I wouldn't call it a mistake, but uh, a choice that was made when we started the the show about two or three years ago was to try and touch on as many different topics to help as many different people uh, move forward with whatever condition or concern they were facing. And as good as that has been, and the feedback's been amazing from people who who've commented on the show, I'm also aware that given how the internet works and podcasting and I guess what people want to predict and, and tap into as a resource, it would be a better idea for the podcast um, as a service for people is to focus more in one direction with a consistent kind of sequential process and opportunities for people with uh, many concerns, but with kind of one underlying uh, concern or condition or, or approach to their health. Because then it isn't uh, as many uh, multiple doorways to get into multiple buildings. It's more like a sequence of uh, opportunities that each of us can walk through, learn about, and move forward. So I just have this sense that it would be a better service for people if it was going in one direction and it would carry people through multiple, uh, I guess, barriers and boundaries and, and obstacles in a certain direction. So that that's kind of what I thought would be a good idea. And to be clear, Michael, your focus on autoimmunity is um, not just narrow. I, I would say you have a pretty uh, broad perspective on what um, what issues and opportunities are available for people with that. So I think that's going to be the focus of the podcast. Um, it, 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 it'll be a broad conversation about a narrow subject. How about that? Yeah, it, it'll still be a fusion of many things. It'll just be everything in the same context and direction, which actually will make it a lot easier for me as, as a person who's kind of planning the, the skeleton of uh, where the new show is going to go. Mm -hmm. And I think it might actually improve my spelling because autoimmunity isn't easy to spell. Um, but here we are today uh, doing uh, the tried and true Fusion Health Radio podcast. And uh, to be fair, um, I'm probably pretty rusty at whatever the heck it is uh, we normally do with the podcast, um, short of actually listening to the episodes, um, not having participated as a, another voice on the other side of the, uh, the microphone here. Um, I might be at a bit of a loss at times to know um, how to move things forward, uh, but my curiosity around what we're talking about is still there. So, uh, dear listener, bear with me. It's been a while since I've actually sat down with Michael uh, officially with the microphones on and talked about anything um, uh, health-related. Uh, but today we're talking about, I guess it was a series of uh, blog posts uh, that, uh, that you wrote, Michael, um, about don't be a koala. And 
I'm sure people out there who haven't read those blog, uh, blog posts are probably going, what the heck is a koala and why is it, why are we talking about koalas? I thought this was a health podcast. <laughs> uh, I think it's, it, those articles fundamentally started a few months ago uh, when I was trying to think of ways to encourage people to focus on things you can do in your house, things you can do while you're in a yoga class, things you can do when you're walking, you know, for hopefully your minimum 20 minute daily walk outside they would actually tangibly affect their neuroplasticity. And I have to admit, I, I have a strange love affair affection uh, for koala bears. And for whatever reason, a few months ago, um, and this was before the big fires that, that happened in Australia that have harmed the koala bear population in a pretty serious way. And if you like koalas, please go online and find any way you can to help those little uh, cute fluffy dudes and dudettes because they're in a lot of trouble right now. But uh, for some reason, I decided to look up koala bears because uh, I had heard something. And the reason I wanted to call those blog posts and this podcast, Don't Be a Koala, basically goes like this. About 25 million years ago, uh, the land base that koala bears, well, marsupial uh, animals, uh, lived on had some geological shift. And they went from being fairly, I guess, badass marsupials in the sense of being very uh, effective and, and aggressive and competitive. After that shift in, in their region happened, they ended up being, uh, these marsupial bear like uh, animals that got stuck in trees living off one leaf. So it was kind of like the koala apocalypse, but over those 25 million years from an archeological point of view, uh, or anthropological point of view, uh, their brain size has shrunk considerably and their dexterity, their coordination uh, and things like that have changed a lot. And partially that's just adaptation because humans who sit in chairs and click mouse buttons all day are basically turning into koalas because koalas for 25 million years have basically sat on a branch and plucked a eucalyptus leaf off of another branch and choked down a mildly toxic, very high uh, fiber uh, food source, which it turns out chemically does not make them high. But we attribute koala bears getting high from eucalyptus because they look like a bunch of stoners in trees who can barely figure out which paw to use. And again, that's because their brain size, the neural network of what they need to use to survive, has gone down to hang on to branch, reach for a leaf, eat leaf, feel nausea, pass out, wake up and repeat. So let me just stop you there, Michael. And I'm holding myself from laughing so that people can actually hear you on mic. <laughs> oh, laugh away. <laughs> but I'm just picturing this, this legion of little Aussie stoner bears and trees just hanging out and living a pretty simple life because of the diet. Uh, you, you said in, in the, the one post that this, this the, the, the eucalyptus, I mean, eucalyptus is... Is toxic, toxic, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure that that's rotting their brains as well at the same time. Yeah, no, that's that was part of those blog posts, and I'll put a link in the show notes to the first of the blog posts, and then you can go through all three of them uh, as the listeners, uh, if you want. Although we'll be talking about most of it today, uh, if you do want to like have a, a written uh, resource for everything we're going to talk about, it's uh, on my website, uh, Autoimmune Health Solutions. Um, but yeah, one of the biggest triggers that uh, modern humans are dealing with is that our mono-inflammatory diet is causing damage to your microbiome, your epigenetics, and all of that toxic material literally goes through your blood-brain barrier and causes damage to your neurotransmitter reserves, your cognition, your memory, your sleep, your mood. So we are becoming koalas in that metaphoric way of we don't move as much, we don't uh, dance, play, fight, or something, you know, that humans did in the past that kept us very viable in our nervous system, in our brain. And again, our diets are crap. So our brains are full of crap and we literally are moving in that direction. And there's, Sorry. we could spend 10 hours talking about all the different reasons why, but it's not an accident that neurological autoimmune diseases are on their eyes, that Alzheimer's is on their eyes, that other kinds of cognitive decline are on their eyes. And it really does have to do with we don't move, we don't play, and we eat crap, just like koalas. 
just like koalas. So the episode should be called <laughs> Netflix and Koala <laughs> instead of Netflix and Chill, right? There you go. <laughs> because we're turning into these large slugs that yeah. just sort of sit and don't do a whole heck of a lot. I mean, um, I, I, I think of this often when I'm on my uh, on my devices. I'm I'm talking to you uh, via my laptop here. Um, you know, to, to stare at a screen where all the activity happens, the only thing that's actually moving um, is maybe my eyes a little bit from side to side and maybe my chest because I'm breathing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe my eyelids because I'm blinking. Right. You know, that, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about a koala uh, yeah. forming over it's here. A, right? It's a great metaphor and it's funny and they're cute. So I ho- hopefully it'll encourage people to, uh, you know, take the humorous little little poke in the, in the, the belly and then sit back and actually think about the consequences of not doing something about this. Because if well, you okay. if you live a koala life or a, a sit and scroll, eat kind of whatever life for, for more than a few years in a row, it's going to take a lot longer to repair that if you still can. So I'm yeah, really well, passionate it, about helping people with that. That was that was going to be my next question. It's like okay, so we we know that we shouldn't be slugs. I mean, for even even if you don't listen to anything else in this podcast or you'd never listen to any other health related information in your life. Most people know that you should have some sort of, I don't know, activity or exercise or some sort of uh, movement in your life in order to have some sort of uh, level of health, even if it's just basic, basic everyday subsistence uh, where you can actually get up out of your bed and go to the loo and make yourself breakfast and get yourself to work. You know, I mean, we need to, we need to move in some way. We're not, we don't have little hover chairs yet, right? God, I hope. Well, I mean, as cool as that would be, I don't think that's going to help with the koala conditions. But uh, I think it's the oldest cultures in the world. I mean, you know, Asia, China, India. And what do we all think of first when we think of those cultures around health? You know, it's Qigong, Tai Chi, yoga. And those cultures that are thousands, like easily 5,000 years old of a consistent paradigm, everybody who's probably over 25, 30 in those cultures is very aware of their relatives who do and do not practice those things and the difference between them, which mm-hmm. eventually inspires them to go and, you know, in Chinese, we say go and play Tai Chi, you know, because those people live really long lives. And in fact, I've had different Qigong martial arts, Tai Chi masters or teachers in my life uh, who, I mean, I mean, this is literally as I've ever meant anything you know, they're in their 80s, they're doing spinning kicks in the air and rolling around on the ground like kids uh, with a, I don't know, full mouth of teeth, full of head of hair and really bright eyes. And then they get a flu or, you know, something and they say, I must be getting old, I'll probably die soon. And then within two or three weeks, they pass away. But for every other day of their life, they were fit, vibrant, healthy, active, cogent people. So I can imagine for thousands of years in those cultures, you know, it's been a pretty apparent thing that uh, complex movement and breath work and meditative practices are the absolutely proven things, at least empirically, uh, to give people longevity uh, of function, if not also longevity of years. Okay, so let me catch you on that comment there. If uh, the ancient... Uh, cultures have been doing this for thousands of years. Uh, I think that predates the word uh, neuroplasticity. Somewhere I'm thinking that there's a connection between what these old, for lack of a better word, uh, Asian cultures, Chinese cultures, that sort of thing uh, did uh, because that's what they knew what to do. And perhaps what you may know today uh, with functional medicine or, or however it is you see the world in terms of health. Like what's the connection between today's ideas with neuroplasticity neuroplasticity, if I can say that word, <laughs> and, and what, these, what these old uh, folks uh, playing with Tai Chi uh, uh, are doing. Well, they, they invented the term neuroplasticity as a test for your neuroplasticity. So. <laughs> <laughs> Did I pass? Did I get a gold star? Uh, <laughs> I'm just easy. Um, I think the easiest way to think of neuroplasticity, I guess, step A would be it's become a buzzword because up until very recently, from a medical point of view, we've had the understanding that your neurons, once you're kind of in your 20s, um, you, you kind of have to use them or lose them, and you're going to lose them anyway, and you can't grow them back. 
over the last 10, 15 years, depending on who you talk to, uh, the clinical message and understanding has changed, which is no, in fact, if you're fairly creative and dynamic in your protocols, you can actually regrow and stimulate the growth of new neuropathways in your brain up until you die. Wow. Which is a revolution in thinking because, I mean, I, I think if, if you and I were to just sit here as you know, men in our early 50s and someone was to say, Michael, Anthony, you know, here's a little uh, meter, like a volume meter, and this is how much neuroplasticity you have left and do your best to keep it because as it shrinks, it'll never come back. You know, what we call old timers disease, you know, or somebody on TV called it mad cow in the sense of, you know, we're all just as older people expecting to keep losing function and have nothing else to do about it. But, you know, look there's, at our photo albums and, and feel sad. There's uh, CRS. Have you heard of that? I suffer from CRS. Uh, <laughs> Can't remember. Ah, right. <laughs> the, the, the shite thing, right? <laughs> that, that's it. Yeah, I can't remember shite. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. So we're now in a world, you know, you and I, again, as, you know, men in mid-age going, there is a meter and it's from one till 10. And even if you're only at seven right now, wouldn't eight be nice? And here's a menu of things you can do to get to eight or nine if you decided to go there. And for me, yeah. I mean, just as a person, I'm like, wow, that's amazing as a clinician who works with some of the most complex conditions that there are in the sense of, you know, getting into the weeds with, you know, how your body can break down. I, I can't think of a more uh, inspiring and de-stressing thing to tell my patients is look, you know, the rules have changed. You can repair all of this, uh, you know, as much as, you know, is possible for you. There's no guarantee for anyone, but, the, the fact that it's not only possible, it's actually probable and not that hard if you're practical, you know, is an amazing thing to be aware of. Well, I think one of the, the takeaways that I got from the blog post that you wrote was the idea that, okay, uh, complex movements and neuroplasticity is one thing, um, but it goes beyond just, uh, how do I describe that? I, I got the sense that it's not just about the mechanics of how your brain works. It's also uh, good for your soul uh, to actually be um, uh, doing things like this, to be doing uh, the exercises and the Tai Chi and the complex movements. As, as you described in the articles, it was a, um, a very all encompassing thing to do for your health. It wasn't just focused on, uh, on brain health. Did, did I get that right? It's kind of awesome that you said helps you connect to your soul. Um, and this is maybe a, a bit of a, an aside, but the people who research the brain and where memories are and may not be in the brain and whether or not you're a human inside of a body or you're some consciousness who's kind of reaching into the body from the outside through the body, and this gets a bit esoteric, but it's also hard science in a way. The bigger the network in your brain, the more connected to you to yourself that you are on the inside and the more you could potentially be connected to what might be around you as yourself. And I don't mean that in a woo woo sense, because there, there is a lot of, uh, I guess, research and experiments that are suggesting that there is something meta to consciousness that's around people and whether or not it starts on the inside or starts on the outside or, or, or some meticulous balance between the, both, you know, what we are physically and what we are consciously, uh, the bigger the network of your brain, the bigger you are, whatever your soul is. Uh. But, you know, I would also say that as we get into the practical parts of, of the conversation, uh, it isn't just about being able to balance a broom on your nose as you juggle chainsaws in the sense of complex movement and dexterity, although that's a really good entry point. Uh, the idea is to kind of have a holistic relationship with your, your embodied life and what that can do for the longevity of you as a person, uh, as a conscious person, as consciousness, but also just as having your memories and your wit and your agility about you. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that there's something you said about having a flexible body, flexible brain, flexible life in some way. Yep. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I totally see how when you wrote about koalas, them being these little furry, tree slugs <laughs> and 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 just 
just really taking that in and, and you know, to be fair, um, your ears were probably ringing as I read those posts because I'm like, God, what's he doing? Tell me I'm a koala. I actually, you know, like I was actually getting kind of PO'd at you because it was like, you know, you were, you were, you were poking a finger, albeit lovingly, at whatever it is that I do in my life in some regards because I don't do, because I'm, you know, on the scale of uh, human to koala, I think I probably come in maybe a little bit more on the koala side some days than I do on the human side, right? Yeah. Uh, the the fully actualized and nimble ninja human <laughs> being the one end and the fully, um, you know, slugified koala at the other end. I'm somewhere, somewhere in the middle, which is, I think, where most people are. And as I was reading all of this, I'm like, uh, it, it just it just hit me with this profound, um, I don't know, slap to the head, kind of like, wake up, do this, because this is important for everything. Like the idea of doing exercise for me, I've always had resistance to it, because it's like, uh, you mean I got to lift weights? Uh, you know, like whatever. No way, man. Run I'm faster, not doing that. run harder, carry more. What? <laughs> where's, where's the remote control? Pop, pass the popcorn. You know, like yeah. that's. Can, can I just watch somebody exercise on Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> they, they actually have that? <laughs> um, well, actually, I found some really inspiring workout videos on YouTube recently, uh, which are kind of montage uh, to music because I was looking for something to listen to while I was trying to finish some editing. And I was like, oh, that looks like fun. But watching really, really healthy, fit people work out to music is distracting. So uh, I had to turn the screen off so that I could just listen to the music. So, <laughs> but I did think we could we could brand this new idea of instead of a cheat day, we could call it a koala day. A koala day. Where you just sit on your couch and, you know, eat <laughs> and, and rest and chill. Netflix and koala. There you go. Coming right, coming right up. So, like, to, to, to be able to, uh, to, to read those articles and realize that exercise is more than just uh, moving my muscles for the sake of moving my muscles. It's like, you know, like the little strings inside my elbows and my knees and, and everything are connected to, you know, parts of my brain. Uh, that was like, you know, you just picture the little uh, smoke uh, atomic cloud going up over top, the top of my head. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, and I think the easiest metaphor for people who may be new to that would be if you think of your brain as like the electrical grid that supports all of the citizens of a, a town of 10,000 people, um, call that, well, that's where you and I live, so that, that was the easiest thing that came in my head. But uh -huh. um, as long as there's enough, uh, I guess, electrical grid infrastructure to take care of the 10,000 or the 100,000 or the 10 million people in your city, then your neuroplasticity or the volume of network uh, in your brain is optimal for you. But like a koala bear, if you're not actively, you know, challenging your body left, right, up, down, front, back, uh, breath, you know, deep rest, deep exertion, and all of the switches that we need to be healthy, if we're not actively kind of resetting and, and uh, retesting and trying to expand the electrical grid of our metaphoric city, it's going to shrink down to, you know, the apocalypse. Because the weirdest thing about all animals, but, you know, humans especially, is we're profoundly good at conserving calories and nutrients. I think there's some sort of... Yeah. Uh, there's uh, like the use it or lose it metaphor. Because if you don't use yeah. it, you're millions of years old instinctual animal self will go well the the family album says that everyone gets taken up by something bad so i'm going to conserve everything i can into the smallest volume of my brain if i'm not eating it because the history of all life has shown you that you don't want to waste your resources mm -hmm. but it's like the worst evolutionary uh adaptation ever because although it conserves nutrients and, and calories it destroys adaptability. So it's like a hibernation reflex. And uh, I'll also link to the show notes a video I did on morning rituals and neuroplasticity, which would, it just goes through the basics of why uh, doing neuroplasticity in the morning is important. And just as importantly, why if you get up in the morning and do exactly the same thing you do every morning, you're telling your brain it does not need to be on today. So in that first half hour, 45 minutes, if you're not doing something new and interesting and challenging, your brain goes automatic, robot, put battery in pocket, save for tomorrow. And if tomorrow's the same day, you know, you're, you're, on, you're on the fast train to koala land, really. 
So you're trying to tell me that when I pick up my phone first thing in the morning and shut my alarm off and then get on Facebook right away, that's not a good thing? I'm just saying the scroll and poop <laughs> sort of thing that most of us are doing now is not good for your brain. And it's actually, um, there should be an app uh, or maybe we should create one that you, if you're an honest person and a curious person, or if you're an athlete and you don't want to screw up your capacity, when next you sit down on your toilet to scroll, uh, one, your brain's going into hibernation because it's always the same. But two, you're actually messing up your core tone and you're more likely to end up with hemorrhoids and other problems because you're basically sitting there without any kind of uh, a visceral tone. And, and that's what actually gets people all those kind of lower GI and, you know, bum things going on medically. Uh, so it, it's a really bad idea. So if we had an app that could press a button, I am now sitting on the toilet scrolling. Uh, <laughs> if it goes past the normal number of minutes it takes humans to poop, you're actually hurting yourself in at least two very tangible directions. New from Apple this Christmas, the iPoop <laughs> app. <laughs> yeah. Poop and scroll, alarm, beep, it's been more than five minutes, get up. <laughs> get off your butt. Now we could, we, we could have little koala bears getting really, really, I don't know, fainty and falling off of branches or something and landing <laughs> on their heads. I don't know. I feel bad for the koalas now. I feel like I've karmically done something wrong because koalas are in danger now. Well, maybe. Anyway. Let's, let's look at this differently. Maybe people are going to be like, wow, koalas, they're awesome. Let's see if we can help them there you go. because of whatever we're, we're talking about here. Okay. Um, All the proceeds from our koala pooping app will go to koala bears. <laughs> Um, the ideas that you express in the blog posts about not being a koala, um, that's a lot more than we actually have time for here today. But was there one or two key things that you wanted to share in terms of um, kind of like a, uh, a teaser to actually get people to actually go and dig in more into those blog posts? Well, I think we can do a pretty good drive-by of what those posts are about. And okay. I'm going to just say a, a short list of uh, opportunities and sure. uh, each one of them in a way is kind of like a two year college degree worth of learning. So uh, as you said, there's no way we can get deeply into any of them, but I think we all know what they imply. So the, the most common uh, opportunity most of us have is either standing or moving meditation. So again, that would be yoga, qigong, tai chi, pilates, things like that, that are, are a kind of meditative experience, but they're really about getting deeply aware of your body and, and how you can move. And I think Tai Chi is kind of the winner in the sense of uh, the idea of complex movement, because it's very, uh, it demands more coordination in terms of left, right, up, down, and uh, things like that, which is why it's been like the main longevity practice in Asia for so long. So anything that in your personal wheelhouse for the listener uh, that would seem like a standing or moving meditative practice or, or slow motion kind of dance like experience, which you can make up yourself. I mean, someone made up Tai Chi, go and make up your own uh, in, in, in a fun way. That would be opportunity number one. Koala number two, foo. sorry? Koala foo. Okay. <laughs> uh, the next one would be deep stretching. And obviously you have to release tension to stretch. You have to biomechanically improve your uh, posture and things like that just as a result of stretching. Stretching uh, loosens up your fascia, which is where you hold either traumatic memories or repetitive strains from if you have a repetitive job or if you do the same kind of workout all the time in the gym. Uh, your your fascia holds on to kind of the memory of that as a, a status and a limit. So the deeper you can stretch and twist and turn and, and maybe even getting uh, massage or acupuncture to really loosen up your fascia while you're doing that is also a profoundly good thing for neuroplasticity, you know, because if you have a frozen memory in your body and it never changes, that's, you know, the opposite of plasticity. If you have a frozen memory from, say, trauma or, or work injury or something, and you move through it and move uh, around it and change it, that that's by definition like a black belt in neuroplasticity. Wow. Cool. Another one would be resistance training because uh, as healthy animals, you need to keep 
challenging yourself. Uh, I think we've talked in previous episodes about, you know, if you can run 5K and it doesn't cause you any kind of stiffness or soreness, that isn't even exercise anymore. It's only movement. You have to add something new to make it exercise. And you have to really focus on exercising in a direction to make it an actual form of training. So resistance training is a great way to keep yourself toned and fit. But if you keep fiddling around with it, kind of like your morning routine, you're going to get more neuroplasticity from it. And so, sorry, to be clear, resistance training is things like uh, weight training or um, like yeah, those resistant bands. Yeah, I mean, there's body weight resistance training. There's compound movement, kind of free weight resistance training. There's the more uh, isolated uh, moves you can do on the big machines. And they're all good in some ways and challenging in others. But right. you know, resistance training is is kind of the go-to for everybody if you want quick results from your investment. Uh, next would be breath work. And by breath work, I mean not just huffing and puffing to get high, which is kind of a new meme or uh, hobby <laughs> uh, in the internet. Uh, by breath work, I mean training every aspect of your your breath, your breathing muscles, your solar plexus, your diaphragm, which is the number one place all of us store anxiety, chronic distress, and trauma is in the fascia of our diaphragm. And if you can change how you breathe and challenge who you are as you change how you breathe, not only are you going to heal past um, insults in your life, you're going to be the kind of person who moves through that and become the person who remembers yourself as the kind of person who moves through boundaries instead of does the koala thing, which is give me another tree to hide in. Mm -hmm. And breathwork is something that, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it, would you say it's actually a, just a form of uh, therapy? Um, something like, um, I don't know, uh, going to see a counselor or that sort of thing? Uh, and I, I asked that because I have got a friend uh, who does both, and he gets benefits from both in the same sort of way. He just does breathwork, and then for the next couple of days, he's a bag of poop and then he's a new man because he's i don't know unraveled some kind of knot or something in his story of of life i think that should be like a some kind of culturally assumed partnership where if you're going to do really deep like threshold boundary breaking breath work you should be seeing a therapist of some kind because nothing is going to stir up your proverbial poop than 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 deep diaphragmatic controlled breath work hmm. um but I would say <clears throat> breathwork is more like seeing a shaman than it would be seeing a therapist. And they're, they're kind of similar, but they're also completely different. <laughs> so, One has a leather couch. <laughs> <laughs> the other doesn't. <laughs> the other one is a bungee jumping thing where there may or may not be a bungee. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> well, hey, you know, there's, there's lots of ways to learn, but sometimes you have to break the umbilical cord, you know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, another uh, one would be, would be prolonged stillness, uh, you know, which you could find from a standing meditation. But uh, you know, going into I believe yoga calls it savasana, where you do the corpse pose, or just seated meditation, or uh, an informal kind of lying meditation, where you're just trying to be silent and still. Because mm -hmm. it turns out that there's you know, like. Um, there's a profound benefit to your brain as a structure, especially your hippocampus, if you get enough silence. And there is some theories out there that a lot of people who wake up in the middle of the night are waking up, and I, I'm not making this up, they're waking up because their brain is starving for silence. Their brain is too loud, so they're trying to get away the from it? The world around their brain is too loud. So if you wake up at 2.30, 3.30 in the morning, it may be and I don't have any numbers for this, but it may be because a part of your brain that wants to unravel previous uh, stacks of things to think about needs some time for what we call your default uh, mode network to unroll all of the concerns you have that you haven't given enough concern to. And that's a survival instinct. You can't make that go away. But mm -hmm. more importantly, pure silence and stillness um, are something that are human needs. and And that's... I mean, there's not a lot of medical literal literature on the why, except that silence will regrow your hippocampus in four hours if you just literally shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I've and had the it's, it's hard to find. It's hard to find quiet nowadays, especially if you're in a big city. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of us do wake up because we just need to not do anything. And of course, we just roll over, pick up our phone and start scrolling and staring into blue light and maybe listening to some, you know, awesome Joe Rogan podcast or something. And then <laughs> your hippocampus, you know, crosses its arm across its proverbial chest and storms off into the other room because you're not meeting a fundamental instinctual neurological need. Mm. I've had the experience of, uh, with my girlfriend where, um, she's kept me awake, uh, just because I can hear her little gears in her brain whirring. Around. <laughs> I don't know if that's possible or not, but there's been a couple of times and it's just I feel like, like I we wish you get into a counseling session. About the fact that you realize those voices in your head, those gears are not real. <laughs> No, but it's true. There's got to be something to that because there's just, yeah, I'm just lying. It's, I can feel her being busy in her brain, just lying there. It's just like, okay, that's it. I'm sleeping on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, that that's actually, there's actually two different ways that humans will uh, measurably interact with each other, even if you're just lying next to each other in a bed. Hmm. So I, I'm teasing you, but that is something you would actually be measurably picking up in the real world of science. Cool. I'm a scientist. Right on. Next. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The next best thing uh, as an overall just general opportunity uh, or anything that has to do with music. Um, uh, It's actually been shown in in care facilities for the elderly that if you play the music of their adolescence, you know, their rite of passage coming into adulthood, the music they listen to at that point in their lives, they will remember their family names, their friends' names. They will tell you about the stories at the drive-in theater or whatever they did at that age because music activates the network of the brain that the music is remembered in, but it isn't connecting to the narrative. It's connecting to the feeling. Hmm. But once you connect to the feeling and the music brings up a cascade of events and feelings, you suddenly remember the events and the narratives and the names, but the access to it wasn't I went to a drive-in with Fred Schlobotny at 17 and made out in the back seat. It's the uh, Beatles were playing Let It Be, and for some reason, that's my song. I don't know if that's the best make music, Michael. We're going to have to I'm edit that out. Doing my okay, well, whatever <laughs> people listen to when there was drive-in theaters, because <laughs> I just be a preface. Mike grew up in the middle of nowhere without electricity and doesn't have any idea what people did for most of their lives. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> sure that most people probably don't even. Well, I was going to say that I'm sure there's some people on this podcast are still trying to figure out what a marsupial is, let alone a drive-in a, theater is, <laughs> let, let alone a, let alone a drive-in theater. So <laughs> anyway. So I'm just saying music is a profoundly um, miraculous way for association between state and narrative uh, and movement and skill and dexterity. Uh, Some people with, uh, say, dementia who used to be musicians, they can't, if you sit them in front of a musical instrument by themselves, they can't play. But if somebody else starts playing the song, they'll reach for the piano keys and play whatever song is being played, even if you look into their face and their face is still pretty kind of like out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're completely as a body and a nervous system playing the song. And then usually during or after the song, they're way, way more cogent. Uh, their memories better. Their associations are better. So music is like a Jedi hack to the volume of your brain. Very cool. If you're dancing to music, the association goes up in the sense hmm. of the number of facts or details you can remember. So, and so hang singing, on. Just, uh, just, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to, just going to say then, do you mean you can, you can stack your hacks? Like if you, we need, if we need to be doing movement, can we do that? Yeah, movement that's the, and music. Yeah. That's the point of this list is if you, if you can pick one of two of three of different things on this list, um like say you had a really good music you like to stretch to then you had music you really like to do resistance training to and then you had some background uh because i use a lot of background uh, sounds when i'm doing breath work because it helps with the incremental counting uh Mm -hmm. say heartbeats or seconds so the more you can create these tied together associations of these opportunities the better it's going to work because there's more network of association not just network of fact Right. Or date or name or that kind of stuff. Right. Very cool. Okay. So, so, so on that, you just said uh, singing was, was part of that. 
yep. uh, list of things, right? Yeah, so mostly, be... mostly because of the muscle control <clears throat> and the music and the diaphragm uh, breathwork part of it. It's like a synergy of all of them. Oh, I was I was thinking it would be something to do with uh, just the, uh, the vibration, uh, music. Oh yeah, and there is there is there is evidence that singing vibrates your skull in a way that clears lymphatic cleansing in your brain. So yeah, huh? I've had the experience in my life where uh, going through my own uh, personal I don't know what's the right word crap trauma and listening to um, music that has a really deep uh, vibration to it, almost like a, a chant. Or a meditative mm. chant ongoing. Like there's this one track that I listen to. Uh, I'll, I'll spell it O N G, Ong, and then So S O, and then Hung H U N G. Um, what's the guy's name that sings it? Doesn't matter. Um, but when I when I listen to that, it's like a 20 22 minute track or whatever it is of just that Ong So Hung. That oh no! Vibration. Yeah, I've heard of that. And it's like the best car wash for your for your soul ever for me it's uh, a very very cool um reset so that's why i talk about vibration in that way that i thought it might be something to do with again all those strings running from my elbows and knees up to my brain <laughs> making, <laughs> making making them run better yeah there's a lot of definitely a lot of connection so i mean that may be uh, uh i mean i have seen some research on that but I think that's just another example of why ancient cultures with these practices of, you know, chanting and toning in caves and uh, things like that are doing it because not only is it say a shamanically traditional thing to do, but now that we have all the, you know, the gadgets that we do to, to understand more detail, all of this stuff is the best stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, singing. So was there more on the list? Uh, well, that was just to give people, a, a, I think, a common sense overview of what most people do when they go out to improve their health, their fitness, their lifestyle, their social connection, uh, to blow off steam, to, I don't know, go look for mating dance opportunities and all that good stuff. Uh, that's a pretty intuitive and easy to access list, but that's actually not where the real opportunity lies. It's just the... If you went to a restaurant, that would be the menu of choices you could pick from, and you could pick them all. But what you do with the meal is much more important, and that's the next thing I was going to talk about. So you want to talk about it? I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> the menu of choices is uh, pretty short and sweet there, but uh, how yeah, does there's that probably a, There's probably a thousand different things you could you know, as a unit, go out and say, I'm going to do this, you know, I'm going to go and do this kind of resistance training. I'm going to do rock climbing. I'm going to do, uh, I think there's a kind of dancey fitness thing called Zumba or something like that, or I can't remember mm -hmm. what it's called, but, uh, so there's lots of different individual unique things you could go and, you know, go to a class or go into the, the natural world to do. Uh, that the list I offered, like you know, moving, standing meditation, resistance training, breath work, and, and things like that, they're just meant to be intuitive to kind of hang different parts of your body and different activities on your mind. Because what I want to do next is go into how to do those things in a way that will maximize your neuroplasticity. And they're mostly common sense, but they're also really um, well. I think of the the word sexy comes to mind because it's all about the juiciness of the experience. Hmm. Okay, so um, what's the first sexy thing you want us to do? Well, there's this thing <laughs> called your sacrum. <laughs> um, and more importantly, you know, your sacrum, your tailbone, your pelvis, how you stand, how you move, how you sit, how you, uh, we move as sexual beings, has a lot to do with how you articulate your sacrum uh, with the rest of your muscles. And that's pretty mechanical and obvious. But inside your sacrum is something called your sacral plexus. And those nerves coming from the, the trunk of your brain and spine reach into your lower abdomen and your, your, all the muscles basically below your belly button. And what's important about those muscles is those are your fight or flight survival confidence muscles. So when you're focusing deeply on how well you move left to right, how you position your knee over your feet, uh, how you may or may not push off the ground to jump up to or over something, that's all uh, deeply hardwired into your brain as your 
a level of capacity to survive difficulty. So when you're training, say, Tai Chi or Qigong, I would ask my students to focus on what we call your pocket muscles, which are all the muscles between your ribs and knees, but especially the muscles that connect your pelvis to your legs in, in, in the most direct way. And when you start articulating your body that way, as a martial artist, now you can hit people a lot harder uh, if that ever becomes important, hopefully not. Um, but, well, unless you're an athlete in that way. For most of us, I don't think we want to you know, just focus on hurting people. But when you can move that way, there's a part of the back of your brain that, that is being trained by your inner Yoda. And it knows what works and what doesn't work. And the more you work with what, what your brain knows is going to work, what your spine and nervous system knows is going to work, the more it works. And I mean, that's probably the easiest sales pitch ever, but <laughs> um, it's, an, it's an actual measurable thing. And that, that's why I like standing meditation uh, as, as an opportunity for people because you are still engaged in your structure, your posture, you're always relaxing into subtle changes of movement. Uh, you are eventually after 20 minutes doing uh, what we call cardiovascular exercise because you're burning fats with oxygen, um, which is cool to know you could do cardio standing almost perfectly still. <laughs> Just one of those fun things people scratch their heads going, do you what? And, and to be clear, you have to stand, right? You can't just be sitting in front of the TV. You have to stand. <laughs> There's no plexus when you're sitting <laughs> in the sense of interacting with the world, right? Just, just want to make sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. <laughs> Koala bear. <laughs> and uh, that, that's an amazing thing. So the standing meditation has a unique opportunity with your sacral plexus. Uh, deep stretching can reorient a lot of traumatic memories out of the deepest fight or flight system in your actual physical body. Uh, doing resistance training and having that sense of capacity through your entire lower fight or flight gurin per animal system is there's no question in it. I don't think anyone can refute the obviousness of being conscious of what you're doing while you're, say, doing your deadlifts. It's one thing to grunt and yank and, and hopefully you don't bang your knees with a bar. It's another thing to be going, okay, I'm really going to focus on the connection of my knees to toes and, and how I breathe and you know where my diaphragm is and whether or not I'm using a belt to lift with my whole lower core self. You know, and the mm. same thing can get into breath work where you're losing, using uh, your diaphragm and your perineal floor to activate even more subtle contractions. So, I mean, I could go on for probably an hour just about what you can do to favorably upregulate your central nervous system's confidence in itself through your sacrum. It sounds fascinating, and I'm yeah. sure it would make a, another episode. It'd be probably better to do that with a camera, though, because... Talking about doing all those fun things is, well, I think we did an episode on the, how boring pornography is, but <laughs> <laughs> watching other people have fun is uh, not nearly as fun as doing it yourself. And listening to people talk about it without even seeing it seems dry. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the, um, the next one is, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to ask you, what's the next one? Well, the next one is to take the biomechanics of your sacral plexus and then to focus on the feeling of what we call in Chinese medicine, uh, your qing, or the actual sense of potency and virility and, uh, I don't know, basically mojo that you feel kind of like from your eyebrows to your toenails about what you're doing. Because as you start moving around in that kind of dance-like sexual way, sensual, I don't know, predator animal like i always call the gur and purr experience it's it's about feeling your potency and your playfulness and that sense of potent playfulness or mojo is a state so it's one thing to stand still and breathe and focus on your long-term hopes to become enlightened it's another thing to stand there relax and then have some micro movements that are expressing your felt sense from your head to toe of your just uh, inner battery of of being and then, I mean, that's a state and you can um, make it more tangible very quickly with breath work. You can make it uh, obviously very tangible with the hormones that you get from exercise. Uh, and in fact, there's a new research on um, a hormone called osteocalcin, which has to do with bone repair, uh, but it also has to do with long-term stress re uh, regulation where most of us kind of uh, phase out or spaz out or whatever the term is under stress. If you have uh, enough osteocalcin in your system, 
your body's biochemical ability to handle the stress hormones is actually higher. And you get that mostly from resistance training, standing meditation, uh, tai chi, or yoga if you're standing, uh, and anything that just puts uh, axial load on your bones. And I mean, they have to do that in, in for people at the space station because if you don't have enough gravity, as that hormone goes down, you lose bone density, but you also lose a lot of inner self-regulation, which no one knew about until I think six months ago. So astronauts need to... I don't know. Become a koala. <laughs> <laughs> they, they need to keep moving. Otherwise, they're going to go out into space and they're just going to be losing it all over the place. Yeah. And then there's my, my favorite, favorite combination of uh, chemistry, which you already have for all you naughty people going, ooh, 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 what can I take? <laughs> uh, you already have it inside. One is uh, nitric oxide and the other is BDNF or brain-derived neurotropic factor which are upregulated by breath work, by uh, exertion, uh, by play, by dancing, by everything that's fun. Uh, as long as you push yourself a little bit uh, in any of those directions, you're actually improving the ability of your brain to repair itself mechanically and hormonally, which is kind of cray-cray in the sense of you can do that. You can just get up and make your brain grow. It's like, uh-huh. It's yeah. a bit of work, but it's a lot of play. I, I still keep coming back to the idea that it just seems so ridiculously simple what you're describing, that the idea of actually having a full-on kind of approach to um, movement and to intention behind how you're moving and how that just makes your brain grow. I mean, that's just, I don't know, anti-koala ridiculousness. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there are some really complicated aspects to this, but definitely the overarching theme is, yep, pretty much uh, simple or, or at least not complicated, but it's still, I mean, I think the reason why most people kind of like, their eyes kind of like flick towards this kind of information and then flick away is that when you think, oh yeah, well, don't be koala, improve complex movement, maximize what we call proprioception or your ability to feel and uh, understand movement, posture, momentum, and stuff like that. Uh, that. That all takes time and effort or what in Chinese we call Kung Fu, which means time and effort in a way. So if you don't feel like Kung Fu is uh, as a metaphor, what you want to do, you're, you're just not a doer. You're, you're, you're a, in the audience watching people do. And I am trying to tease, tease people and poke people a bit saying that because we have to get out of the audience and wait for everyone else to, to hopefully figure this out in some other way. You know, each of us has our own balance of, of uh, needs and uh, perhaps boundaries or blockages in, in whatever way. So, you know, please, if you're hearing this, begin the adventure, play, experiment, explore, and expand your, your your boundaries, and it will help you. And there's there's nothing complicated about it except a minimum twenty minutes a day of something. Something, yeah. yeah, something is better than nothing. And the more fun it is, and the more combined it is of those opportunities, and and what I'm talking to now in the sense of where you focus your personal uh, energy and and perception, that's that's the magic uh, combination. Is just consistently. And awareness that what you're doing uh, can be a bit more precise or a bit more uh, unique in some way that's going to help it work even better for you. And no one can tell you what that is. Mm. I mean, we can uh, give you some general kind of menu guidance, but uh, each of us is fundamentally responsible for grabbing the steering wheel of our life uh, through our neuroplasticity and every other part of ourselves and actually go for a drive and take it where you want it to go. They're there. There's lots of pills that can help, but the pills only help what you're already doing. I'm thinking of my uh, roommate, who's a student, who has um, dance parties in the kitchen. <laughs> she's, a, she's a straight A student, smart as a whip, funny as heck, and um, she'll have um, all out kind of kitchen prep, food prep. Um, dance parties, which probably isn't the safest thing to be doing if she's got a sharp knife in her hand, but she'll be singing at the top of her lungs, sometimes well, sometimes not, music playing. Um, and uh, the, how does she say it? She says it helps iron out her brain. 
because her brain gets all crumpled up all week long with all the things that she shoves into her ears. <laughs> you know, and it, so it, it, it's, it's kind of like what you're talking about here. Like that, that, that sort of uh, simplistic thing that she's drawn to be doing is her recipe. Like her recipe involves movement and singing and music. Um, and, you know, it doesn't happen every day, but when she does it, she really goes for it. Now, that's the best thing I've, I've heard today. So actually in my first cookbook that I wrote, uh, there was actually a thing about, you know, put on music or put on this or put on that and then make your, especially if you're prepping meals for the rest of the week, make it like a two hour festival of play with your family. And I didn't, I wasn't thinking about this stuff, obviously, when I wrote that book, but uh, I'm really inspired by what your roommate's doing because that is, I guess the shizzle would be the the way to say it because you know it's got to be fun and spontaneous but also it's good for it to be predictable mm-hmm. well it's uh i guess it's predictable for her because she's got her schedule right mm-hmm. so when when she actually uh gives into uh the kitchen gods <laughs> and, and and has to do something to appease them <laughs> you know it's usually on a friday or a saturday night because mm-hmm. uh, she's busy every other than every other night of the week um, yeah, well, I mean, I mean, maybe that that would be like a, a checklist to have on your calendar, you know, one one kitchen dan- dance festival a week. Yeah. yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, it's it's a ton of fun. And I get into it every now and again with her. But um, uh, I don't I don't have uh, the same crumpled brain that she does. So I'm not sure if I'm achieving quite the same results. But hopefully there's some benefit to me as well. Uh, yeah, there's no way to mess this up except be a koala. Right. Be a koala. Um, is there I mean, more there's, you... a, there's a few other examples, but I, I think we've kind of proven the thesis uh, and, and people can uh, go to those uh, blog posts uh, who are listening now if they want to read through it kind of like word by word. But I, I think that um, the most important thing to, to express to people is uh, that use it or lose it metaphor. And it doesn't have to be a threat of punishment, you know, in the sense of, uh, taking it like, you know, if you don't do this, it's your fault if you get Alzheimer's disease. Because uh, there's a lot of other factors going on that may or may not be under our control. But when it comes to, if, maybe if I was to say this another way, in my experience, the most important aspect of health and healing is your adaptability and how you orient yourself to the world. If you have no adaptability, your orientation is going to be inwards as to why you can't do anything and why. Maybe there's something wrong with you or you're bad or the things that all of us kind of, you know, carry around as a bit of hurt or some of us carry around a lot of that. At some point, our adaptability has to be out there because that's really where adaptation matters and how you orient yourself as a person, as a person with a past, as a person with a passion, that's going to fuel your adaptability and direct it and make it more consistent. So again, you know, the whole point of, I guess, this, this podcast specifically is get off your bums and find a way to play and find your girl and purr and be consistent. And consistent doesn't mean uh, the same thing every day. It means pushing around at boundaries consistently all like, uh, no, I guess at least once every week and do something every day, even if it's only for five minutes. Something, definitely something. So in the, the third article that, that people can access if they want to go through that, it, the third one is about how to build a 20-minute neuroplasticity boost practice or ritual in the morning, uh, which is kind of like a mix and match uh, buffet of uh, all the things we've talked about, where you could start off with, say, five minutes of breath work and five minutes of stretching, then maybe five minutes of uh, a bit of high-intensity resistance training if that was what you needed and then maybe five minutes of meditation. So if you did that every day or, you know, whatever other combination you chose, that would be a great thing to spend a few months on and then maybe switch it up for something else. But if you're looking for the most efficient, practical way to do this, it's 20 minutes every day uh, within the first 45 minutes of waking up. If that doesn't fit into your life, it doesn't mean it's not going to work. It just means it's going to work a little tiny bit slower, but it's still really going to work. Hmm. Well, that's encouraging to hear that um, something as uh, as fun as playing around, you know, moving and singing and dancing and uh, tai chiing and whatever else <laughs> that, that people will get up to um, 
even at any level would actually make some kind of a difference. Because I think that's sometimes the resistance that I'll speak personally, resistance that I have when it comes to actually doing any kind of things. It's like, oh man, you know, it's like the, uh, I'm at the bottom of the mountain and I got to get all the way to the top, Ugh. you know, as opposed to, Hey, there's a mountain. Cool. Hey, here's one step. Yay me. You know, <laughs> I made it one step. Yep. So I, I do want to mention this one thing because I would probably forget otherwise. For those of you who have been listening to the Fusion Health Radio podcast, thanks so much for being with us in this. And we have one more uh, episode to go before we switch it over. But if you do not have a copy of my book, Returning to an Ancestral Diet, uh, I have a little treasure hunt for people. And uh, that'll get you a copy of the ebook. It's 600 pages. It's got 500 recipes. Uh, this is not my statement, but a lot of my patients say it's my new food Bible because at the, f the first part of the book is all about how nutrient density and, you know, food uh, problems get started. But the rest of it's just a really fun kind of gourmet cookbook about really healthy food. So because uh, we're kind of rebranding this whole thing uh, from Fusion Health Radio, we're going to change the podcast to Autoimmune Health Solutions. And that'll be probably in a few weeks, uh, maybe two weeks from the time you hear this before that's actually up on the internet. What I would ask you to do, and because again, I'm rebranding all this stuff, I have a brand new YouTube channel. It doesn't even have a name because it's that new. And I'll put a link to the YouTube channel with all of its 472QXY or whatever numbers are <laughs> attached to it right now because it's brand new. <laughs> if you go to that YouTube channel, which there'll be a link below this uh, podcast, and subscribe to that channel and leave either a comment or a question or uh, a topic for a future YouTube video or podcast, and then uh, go to Facebook and uh, go to Autoimmune Health Solutions on Facebook and uh, follow that page or like that page. And then just leave a little note saying, Michael, send me my book or whatever. There's a lot of really fun responses we've gotten from people so far. Uh, but if you do that small little treasure hunt, I will send you as soon as I can, uh, and I've already sent out about 50 of them, a copy of the ebook. Uh, which is worth 20 bucks. So you're basically getting a $20, 600 page, really good resource on uh, healthy eating. Uh, we just want to start building uh, the people who actually want to follow what we're doing. And it's going to be a similar show to Fusion Health Radio because it's Anthony, who's awesome, and me, who is doing the best, um, you know, to give you guys and girls the information that we come up with that seems the most meaningful. But we also want to make sure that the people we're talking to are people who want to listen to what we're saying. So that's why we're shifting things over so that we really can be sure that everyone who's, you know, listening to the show uh, are people who are hopefully going to be asking questions and uh, helping us come up with really good ideas based on what, what people really want to know about. It'll be good to have a uh, new focus and direction for the podcast. I think after... Uh but this is episode 117 after some million hours behind the microphone with you, Michael, it's going to be fun to actually uh, step forward doing something new uh, with all the, uh, with all the smarts that we both have doing this. Uh, I'm looking forward to it being a much more uh, potent um, prescription, if you will. For yeah, and I'm so glad you're coming back to the show, Anthony. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a solo person in a lot of ways than I used to think that I was. So I'm just really, really grateful that you've decided to come back and join the, the festivities and kind of help lead the way uh, with the new podcast, which eventually, again, will be called Autoimmune Health Solutions. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting into it with you and uh, derailing your comments with my bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> well, somewhere in the middle, I think we're going to come out okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we will. Um, was there anything more that you needed to add uh, with regards to um, where people can find you online? So again, it's, it's auto, autoimmune health solutions on Facebook. Yeah, and, and on autoimmunehealthsolutions.com, which is a brand new website. So it'll take a while for me to repopulate it. But uh, yeah, everything is going to be basically be called autoimmune health solutions. And if you're trying to find me on, uh, or I guess us on Twitter, or Instagram, it's ancestral-aip. Yeah, 
And you can always find my uh, dusty old Twitter account at Truth About Food. Oh, that's right. Yeah. See, even you forgot. <laughs> well, it's been a year. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe it's the koala. I turned into a koala, man. What, what should that's I right. do? <laughs> I don't see any gray fur on you yet, so I think you're doing all right. <laughs> um, this has been epic. It's been wonderful to get back into it. Uh, dear listener, uh, please do uh, like and share this. Uh, tell your friends what you heard or tell them to listen to it themselves. They'll get all kinds of great information and they won't be koalas and neither will you. Um, I guess this wraps up another episode of Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast. Again, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks again, Anthony. And I look forward to hearing about questions and comments and other fun jokes as you go through the treasure hunt to get your free book. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio. 